compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Stephen Alby. As you guys know, my name is Stephen. Um, I'm the pastor of student ministries here. And it is a joy and an honor and yet kind of sad that I got to spend just a year with these graduates. Um, having to get to know them um, and being able to minister as much as the Lord has allowed me to, it's, it is, it's, it's kind of bittersweet to see what the Lord is going to do with them and see where he's going to take them. Now, this is a really sweet time in life. I want you to really, really enjoy this time. Um, I'll give you a story. When I was in seminary, after I had graduated, um, I decided, you know, the library had always been an area that was really, really stressful for me. It was an area where I had to go and I couldn't talk to anybody, which those of you who know me know that that would actually be a really, really hard thing. Um, so I actually almost got kicked out several times because I'd still go and talk to people. But the library was where you would go, you would set all your books out, you'd get your little cubicle, like, you know, graduate school library. Uh, if you've never experienced it, you should just go once. It's kind of scary. It is a scary place. Um, and I remember sitting at my, my cubicle with all my books everywhere and as many different things as I could think and trying to write these papers in time. And I mean, some people would even spend, my, my wife actually spent 12 hours straight, was that right, in one of those cubicles um, right when she was in seminary writing papers. And so what I decided to do after I graduated is I waited until right around midterm time. I got my computer and I walked into the library and I found one of my favorite cubicles to sit in had no books in it, I opened up my computer, and I watched a movie. Because <laughs> I could. And now I didn't make a big display of it, I didn't kick back, I didn't put my feet up on the counter and put my hands behind my head. I didn't really call attention to the fact that I was doing it, but I did it. And if you can, you might want to do that too. I'm just, just suggesting. Um, if you have a chance to go back after a while and then just... What was really interesting is it gave me the sense of perspective. And the sense of perspective that it gave me was, while I was in it, I was so stressed out and anxious and freaked out about so many things, but now that it was over, I went in, and I'm like, this, no, this, this place is not that bad. You know, this library isn't that scary. It's, it's actually kind of, it's kind of an interesting place. And I actually would go back several times, and I would use my newfound freedom to minister to my friends who were there. I would go up to them as, when they were writing papers and, um, gently, you know, not to scare them because you still have to be quiet, but like gently put my hand on their shoulder and be like, hey, I'm praying for you. If you want me to read through your paper, I'd love to. And, um, it, was, it was a really, it was, it was a fun time. It was a fun way to kind of go back and immune from the stress because I didn't have classes anymore, but I got a chance to really connect with some people. But while this can be an exciting time, it can also be a really anxious and stressful time. Now, while our graduates have put on the, on our sheet a pretty clear idea of where they're going to go, it's Interesting because this time can feel like there's endless amounts of choices. And this time can feel like there's endless number of answers, all geared over the same question, which is, what do I do next? Now, this question is not just for recent graduates. This question actually comes up oftentimes in our lives. I mean, think about it. It can come up when you have several hard days in a row at a job. Or it can come up after that job goes away. Or maybe this question of what to do next comes up after one retires. Or maybe after family changes or, you know, a, a new baby comes into the mix and expenses go up. 
And now we understand through the series that our job is a way that we can honor God and we really seek to, to please Him, but sometimes it feels like our boss is a little harder to please. I understand that work can be really hard. Sometimes it can be really thankless too. So it can be really difficult to figure out, okay, even if I have a career right now or if I'm in a job right now, how do I know it's where I'm supposed to be? Or if you are looking for a job or if you're looking for work right now, it's very hard to figure out exactly where one could go. It's my hope as we look to God through his word to find wisdom in this, that you guys would hear the Son say to you to trust him. We're going to focus on three pieces of wisdom that through my study and through my experience, I have realized and would like to share with not just our graduates, but with anybody who is struggling to find if where they're at is where they should continue to be. So the first one that I'd like to look at right now, it's going to be found in Matthew 6, 25 through 34, if you want to turn there. While you're getting there, can I just say how great it is to be here in person in the second service? I love actually seeing you guys. Um, it's been, it's cool. I don't, I'm sorry that you've had to have the video so much, but I like to actually see you guys. Um, so as you turn to Matthew 6.25, the first point of wisdom that we, I want to share with you is to seek God and his kingdom. Seek God and his kingdom. So starting in verse 25, Jesus is speaking uh, in what's called the Sermon on the Mount. This is not just a teaching to his disciples, but to a pretty large crowd. And he says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It can be super easy to get overwhelmed and anxious about where we're supposed to work and what we're supposed to do, can't it? When the bills continue to pile up and you feel like you're not making enough to make ends meet or when the Lord has put something on your heart that you just cannot ignore no matter where you go, it can be really, really easy to get caught up in the decision and to get caught up in the anxiousness of life. Now, I know when I graduated high school, which, gosh, was 12 years ago, doesn't feel like that long. And I know some of you are probably thinking, 12 years, that's like nothing, but it seems like a long time to me. Um, when I graduated, I'll give you a story from my experience, I actually felt like I had two options. On one hand, 
I was a somewhat decent artist. I could draw a pretty good stick figure without using a ruler. And felt like I was actually doing pretty good with it. So I wanted to go to art school so I could learn how to draw better stick figures. And on the other hand, this was pretty close to 9-11 after you know, after 9-11 had happened, I had this really strong sense of patriotism. And I felt like that military service could be something that I would want to do. So I actually felt called to two different things. And there was no way for me to figure out how God could reconcile the two. Just as you're probably trying to figure out how these two interests could exist in the same person. On one hand, you have an artist who likes to draw things and likes to paint. And then on the other, you have a guy who wanted to go into ranger school and go into the military. I know it's another example of me being a walking contradiction, but those who know me know that that's kind of my life. But the, and my wife's laughing, I love it. So I knew that I wanted to do these things, but I couldn't figure out which I was going to go to. I mean, I had good reasons to go into both. And I actually knew, too, if I wanted to go into art school, because art school can be really, really expensive, I would need help. So I figured, oh, okay, I can go into the military service, use the GI Bill, and then I could go to art school. That was kind of the plan that I had in mind. And I kept getting incredibly anxious about where the Lord was going to have me next. And I only had two things to worry about. Now, I know there's some of you in here who have a myriad of things to worry about, who have tons of different options at your disposal, who have tons of different things weighing on your heart. Maybe you're in a current job, but you feel like the Lord may be calling you elsewhere. Or maybe you're not sure if that job's going to even last. Maybe you're not sure at the end of every season if they're going to hire you back. This can cause a lot of real anxiety. It can cause a lot of real stress. Maybe you're considering going into the missions field. Maybe you're considering going back into school or maybe even taking some time off to work on your, getting your family closer together or working on a marriage. I remember agonizing so much over these decisions and I felt like I had to have it pegged before I was done. And the thing is, I forgot a major thing. I kept trying to figure it out myself. I agonized and I I weighed every option and I did all these things and yet I never once prayed to God. I never once actually sought him to see what he would want me to do. Then interestingly enough, as I was reading back then, I remember coming over this passage. It's why it's one of my favorite passages. And I remember reading through it and thinking, how silly is this of me to feel like I need to know everything there is to know when I have a God who knows everything there is to know, who wants to talk to me and wants to help me. Um, So I realized that I was being arrogant, thinking I needed to do everything myself, so I prayed. I prayed a lot. And just a small thing, and it feels so little. It feels like prayer may not be the most practical thing you can do, but I promise you, it is powerful stuff. Prayer is an amazing thing. If you are wrestling through decisions, go to God. If you and your spouse are wrestling through a decision together, pray with one another. Go to God. He knows what you need before you need it, as we see in this passage, but he likes to talk to you. It's kind of silly to think that we try to get God's will and we try to figure out exactly what he's trying to tell us without actually talking to him. And if any of you have ever tried to do that in a relationship or in marriage, good luck, because it doesn't work. There's absolutely no way I would know what my wife is thinking or what she wants or how to be the best husband to her unless I actually maybe talk to her once in a while. It's the same thing with God. It's amazing how often God wants to speak to us if we just come to him in prayer. Now, it's also important to remember when you do pray to not just stop everything. And now, there's the desire sometimes for some that when you're praying over a decision, trying to make a really big choice, 
to just kind of stop and not do anything until you get a clear answer. And now I found in my story here that by continuing to work, continuing to do things, like I didn't know which way the Lord was going to have me go, so I continued to polish out my portfolio, add more pictures of stick figures in there, and then I continued to meet with as many recruiters as I could. I had kind of an idea of where I wanted to go, but I still wanted to see which, what branches offered what and, um, and different things like that. I continued to meet with them, even had one of the recruiters over to my home. And this gets into where sometimes we feel like, I like the phrase to let go and let God unless it's taken to an extreme. And the reason that I like the phrase is because it realizes that God is in control. But when we let go completely and we just sit around until we get a super clear message from what we believe God is telling us to do, you're never going to actually go and do anything. I wish God would reveal things very clearly, and sometimes he does. But it's not a promise. And sometimes we get in the habit of box checking and we're like, okay, Lord, if you want me to do this, then I need this, 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 and this, and this, and this to happen. And then God does all of them. You're like, yeah, but uh, I kind of need this too. Could you do that for me? And maybe that. And and you get stuck in this paralysis by analysis. And interesting to give you some, you know, to to finish the story, by continuing to work through, I actually entered a senior portfolio show um, and by God's grace ended up getting a partial scholarship to school. So God showed me where he wanted me to go And it was actually through my continuing work and continuing preparation that God actually opened the doors. It's funny, there's a a phrase um, that says that it's a lot easier to steer a moving car. Have you guys heard that? Um, It's a lot easier when you're progressing and you're going forward for God to tell you, hey, take this off-ramp, and now, cool, you have your decision. It's a lot harder when God gives you a decision, and now you have to get in the car, you have to turn it on, then you have to find where the highway is, and then you have to get on the highway, and then eventually you're going to find that detour. You're finally going to find where God wants you to be. It's so much easier, and it takes a lot less anxiety if you continue to work and continue to do things while God shows you where he's going to have you go. Now, I cannot promise that everything will get as clear the day, as clear as possible the day you start praying. I wish that was the case, and it may be, but oftentimes God works a little bit I don't want to say slower, but God works in ways that bring us to where we need to be, but very rarely does he say clearly, do this. But what I can say is that seeking God is the beginning of wisdom. God gave us brains. God gave us insight. He gave us the ability to be wise. And in seeking him, we will find the wisdom that will help us with these decisions. You know, some of you are probably thinking that if you have to suffer through one more day of your job, you're going to go crazy, and yet you can see so many benefits that come from it. And wisdom would say, well, you maybe shouldn't quit right now until either you find something else or until some of your other bills go away. See, wisdom can help discern where the Lord will have you. Now, it's funny, too, because sometimes we come to God almost like he's a magic eight ball. And one, like on one hand, we act like Gideon from Judges with his fleece. I don't know if you've ever tried this. I wouldn't recommend it because God seems to speak differently. Where Gideon laid out a fleece, said, Lord, if this is what you want me to do, may there be dew on it. If not, then may it be dry in the morning. And God did it. And then, of course, Gideon, showing how human he really is, said, okay, that was cool, but I, could you make it dry this time? And then could, could that, you know, could, could you confirm this for me? And then God did it again, and he still was a little worried about what he was going to do. Um, but the thing is, like, I've seen people do that. They say, okay, Lord, if, if this happens, then I'll take it as a sign that this is what you want me to do. 
it can get really dangerous. Because sometimes, you know, I, I've even seen people, I'm not joking, some people will drive down the street and like the first literal sign that they see is how they'll kind of determine where they feel like the Lord is taking them. Or maybe we do this in a, in a slightly more spiritual way, but still as dangerous, where we randomly select Bible verses. Have any of you guys tried that? Where, I did this when I was, when I was younger. I would um, be like, okay, Lord, I'm just going to randomly open up to my Bible and I, wanna, I want you to tell me what you want me to, to do um, based on just wherever I land, the first verse that I look at. Again, it's treating God like a magic eight ball. It's treating God like, you know, he, we ask him a question and then he'll magically show us something through his word. And I'm rem- reminded of a story of one guy who did that. He said, Lord, I need to know where you're going to have me. So I'm just going to randomly search through my Bible and I'll, and I'll find a verse. And he randomly searches and he lands on the verse that said, and Judas, after he'd went into a field, hanged himself. He's like, okay, Lord, well, that was kind of weird, so I'm going to try this again. So he flips through another couple of passages and he lands on the verse that says, therefore, go and do likewise. Fortunately, he didn't, but still, it shows, it shows how silly that can be sometimes. And it's easy to fall into that. I mean, God's word is amazing. It is living and active, and it will guide you, but it's designed in such a way that you have stories, you have wisdom inherent in this. It's not just a collection of random pithy verses that are going to tell you where to go. It's breathing and active. So what Jesus is saying to us through this passage is to trust him. He's saying to us to give him the opportunity to speak to us and to seek him first. I mean, remember Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, where it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. The problem is, too, is that sometimes when we do all this running around and we seek the Lord and we pray, sometimes we feel like we have to do it alone. And I honestly believe that that is not the reason that we have church. I think, it's, I think it's actually the reason that we have church and the reason we have com- Christian community is because we're not designed to do all this stuff on, on our own. We're not supposed to do this by ourselves. So it brings us to our second point, which is to seek the counsel of godly mentors and friends. It can be really easy to get caught up in so many things as you read and as you interpret and as you study, but sometimes what we need is we need someone who's been there before. We need somebody who comes alongside us and says exactly what they went through. We need somebody who can, honestly, God speaks through other people so often. I mean, we see it all through Scripture. Now think about it. Age actually has nothing to do with being a mentor. I mean, really, a mentor is just somebody who's a little further along than you are. And that could be anything. It could be educationally. could be um, in a job vocationally. Um, there are some mentors who are even kind of in a, a more official role but it's just where you would like to be is where a good mentor is going to be, and that can be anything. And Scripture is full of this. I mean, mentors, we see in in God's Word, can be from your own family. And we see that with Mordecai being a mentor to Esther. And they were even, you know, it's a guy to a girl, so it doesn't even necessarily have to be of the same gender. We see Naomi being an incredible support, an incredible help to Ruth, even though they weren't related, they were related by law. We see even Elizabeth giving counsel and guidance to Mary when she was struggling with what to do, being young and, and about to have a baby. But we can see mentors also in kind of more of an official role. 
mentors that take kind of an official place, like think of Nathan to David. He mentored him, even though Nathan, it was kind of Nathan's job to mentor David. He still was able to speak to him in ways other people couldn't. Or look at Daniel. I love Daniel, especially for you graduates. Look at Daniel. He's a stud. Young guy and not only mentored and ministered to one king of Babylon, but three. To Nebuchadnezzar, to Belshazzar, and to Darius. And it's amazing to think that this this kid, I mean, he was pretty young, especially with Nebuchadnezzar, and he was given incredibly high standing in the kingdom. It's because he was given a job to be able to do it, but he used it effectively. Or think about it, a mentor can even train us in the way we want to go professionally. We actually see this, I believe, with Jesus and his disciples. I believe Jesus not only mentored to them in just how to live life and how to do things, but he mentored them to be ministers. He mentored them to go out and be fishers of men, to spread the gospel. He invested in what, they wanted to, what he wanted them to do for the rest of their lives. Look at Gamaliel, who mentored and trained Paul. As Paul's rabbi mentor, training Paul to be a rabbi. Now, this was back when Paul was named Saul. But later, after Paul becomes a Christian and his name changes, we see him taking that same step and mentoring and ministering to Titus and Timothy. So we see it all through Scripture, and when you see so many things like that, it makes me wonder, well, it seems like it's a pretty important thing for us to remember too. So who are you seeking to mentor you? And this is for everybody. There's a saying that if you're the smartest person in the room, it's time to change rooms. And the reason I say that is because you are always going to be able to find somebody who knows more than you do about something, who has lived more life than you, who has had more experiences than you, and it's amazing how the Lord can use that to build you up. And those of you who may feel like you've learned everything that there is to learn and you've um, progressed so far in life, you will learn so much in mentoring somebody else. So to our graduates, I want to tell you, find as many godly mentors as you can. When I was in seminary, I had six mentors that I met with because I'm apparently kind of a needy guy when it comes to that. But I needed, I needed the help. I, needed, I, had a men, I had mentors who were pastors. I had mentors who were church planters. I had mentors who were construction workers. It was, it was amazing how I learned from them. And you know what? It's amazing when you just go up to somebody and ask them to mentor you. Just think about how big of an honor that is. When you go up to somebody and say, man, I, you know, my... My family is, is growing and you go to somebody who has already had a big family and you say, wow, like, can you, can you help me with this? Or maybe when you see somebody who is in a career that you want to be in and, and you go up to him and you say, do you have any hints? Do you have any tips? Can I buy you lunch? That's almost a guarantee to get somebody to meet with you. Just go up and say, hey, can I buy you lunch and ask you a couple of questions about life? And uh, odds are they'll join you. But seriously, these people are going to help you with the hard decisions. They're going to help you stay on track as you seek God and read his word. Never feel like you have to do this by yourself, even though I believe that scripture is understandable to everybody. I also feel like it's really easy to get goofy if you try to do everything yourself. If you don't have a community of believers, you don't have a community of faith. So please, find people who you can discuss things with, who you can talk about life and scripture and jobs they'll help you grow immensely in wisdom and insight. I'm not joking. So now with all of this analysis that we're doing, so much thought, so many things that we're thinking about and so many things that we're trying to figure out, I don't want you to stop there. That's where we get to the third one. After doing all of this pondering and wrestling and questioning and talking and having lunch, 
go and do something. Just go out and do it. Now, Kevin DeYoung has this really good book. It's actually called Just Do Something, and it was really helpful for me in the preparation, but he has this little quote that I love. He said, some Christians need encouragement to think before they act. Other Christians need encouragement to act after they think. Now, in a day when we feel like we have unrestricted freedom, I mean, think about it. You can find job postings from other countries from the comfort of your own home, and you can even now get PhDs from home, from whatever prestigious school you want to go to, pretty much. I mean, think about it. You have choices that have never happened before. There are opportunities that have never even been conceived of before. There are fields that are getting created that 20 years ago didn't even exist. And sometimes it feels like we have to choose one and stick with it for the rest of our lives. And I'm going to tell you, while that's an ideal, like I know there's some of you in here who have worked in the same job for decades, and praise God, that's awesome. It's also really, really rare. I actually read an article in the Wall Street Journal that says that the average adult will work 10 different jobs in their lifetime. And now, while this might include some summer jobs and some part-time work and everything like that, they actually say, too, that full-on career changes, so full changes for, um, like, even whole fields, not even just, like, moving within a field, whole different fields, the average is over five. But I want to tell you, and maybe I'm speaking for my generation here, because I know my generation is a little more like this, but I feel like when you're young, especially our high school graduates, it's okay to try a bunch of different stuff and see what fits. Don't feel like that what you pick right now has to be the job you're going to stick with. And to give you an idea, and, and I am totally speaking from my own experience here, to give you guys an idea of my own job history, in the course of my short 29 years on this earth, I have been a heating and air conditioning wholesaler, I've worked at a movie theater, sign manufacturer, vitamin store, landscaping company, and a seminary. I've been a butcher's assistant, a salesman, a manager, a nonprofit co-founder, and now a pastor. So I've actually hit the average already, and I'm 29. So I'm wrecking the curve for the rest of you. Now, before you guys start getting worried about where I'm going to go next, I want you guys to know that I'm actually really, really happy here. And there's a, um, coming up, I want to share with you a quote about why I actually feel like where the Lord has me right now is actually the most freedom that I've ever had and the most joy I've ever had. But it's interesting to think that if I wouldn't have tried so many of these things, I wouldn't have seen things continue to pop up. Like, I probably preached as much as a landscaper, well, a little bit less than I do now. Because I was among people who needed Jesus and it was the only way that I'd get them. They would probably never darken the door of a church but I had an opportunity to minister to them. Or the way that I learned to, to work with so many different people doing customer service and doing retail, it's amazing to see how the Lord has gifted um, and changed me in that in ways that I continue to use today as a youth pastor. So I don't want you guys to get paralysis by analysis. I love that phrase because I get it a lot. I want you guys to think, like don't get so caught up in trying to get such a clear sign from God that you never actually go and do anything. You should go out there and try Try stuff, and it's okay to fail. There's a saying that failure is not, does not impede success. In fact, you only succeed by going through failure. No one in life has ever succeeded by not failing. People succeed by continuing to go through failure time and time again and learning and growing and getting better. So try, learn, fail, and then try again. 
my encouragement to you guys. But it gets dangerous when it stays there. If you never find something that you enjoy, if you're constantly searching for all over for different things and maybe you feel like the Lord has never really made it clear for you to stay in one thing, I want to encourage you in this. You actually will find, well, it feels like you're most free when you're trying a whole bunch of different jobs and I felt like I was free. It was neat. You know, I could try a whole bunch of different things and do a bunch of different stuff but true freedom, I truly believe, comes from making a decision and sticking with that decision. Now, while I wouldn't suggest doing, you know, running around and trying a whole bunch of different things when it comes to dating, in the job world, it's okay. But it's interesting how they both connect. So here's a quote from a guy named Derek Rishmoui. Um, I think that's how you say his name. But he is a blogger on the Gospel Coalition, had a really cool article. I want you to hear this because choice can seem to, when you actually make a decision, it can seem to restrict all your other freedoms. But in fact, I actually think that choice makes for the greatest freedom. Now, what he says is when you choose, you actually get in on something really great. But if you constantly keep your options open, you're not actually free to enjoy or know really anything. Think about it. Some meals at fabulous restaurants need reservations months in advance. Getting to that must-see concert demands time and energy and effort and blocking out that day on your calendar for no other reason. Finishing a book requires not starting a hundred others in the process. I need to hear that sometimes. And we see this work in love too. What he says is while some might find the freedom of dating person after person appealing, we might find the joy, we find the joy of deep freedom in finally devoting ourselves to one person. When you choose someone to love, yes, you have to sacrifice other choices. Other options and other ways the world might have been, but you're finally free to give yourself to them fully and completely. You're free to spend time getting to know them instead of briefly and casually pursuing the surface-level presentations of millions of other people. You can be fully open and fully known instead of just browsing through relationships. And this is really key and I want you to hear this. He says, that is the difference between joy and mere amusement. I truly believe it's the same when it comes to our jobs. I have more freedom and more joy now that I have been able to minister and to do what I feel like the Lord has called me to do for years. Because I have an opportunity not only to plant roots and get to know each and every one of you, but you have the opportunity to get to know me. I have the opportunity to get to be known by you guys. And honestly, if I have to sit through one more orientation week, I will go nuts. Some of the ones that I had to sit through, I won't tell you the company's names, but they were bad. <laughs> they were really bad. Um, so think about it this way. We are most free when we finally devote ourselves to something. Now, if I were to tell you to go into a basketball court and just be free, just be free. You don't need to worry about dribbling the ball or you can just kind of hold it and look at it and you're free, you're free to do that. You don't even necessarily have to shoot the ball or um, even, even stay on the court. You can like run up and down the, the stands and, and everything and you're, you're free. And then I said, but now in that freedom, I want you to play one-on-one -on -one with LeBron James. How free are you going to be then? How free are you going to be to enjoy the game of basketball? Because I tell you what, you're probably not going to be very free at all. You're probably going to wonder, 
what on earth is going on, and why do the points continue to rack up, and why won't this big guy let me hold on to the ball? See, true freedom comes in devoting yourself to one thing, and it comes from devoting yourself fully to something. And I'm not saying, again, that you have to stick with the same thing, but I'm wanting to tell you that devoting yourself is a really amazing thing when it comes to work because of that freedom that you can get. The most free people out there when it comes to especially sports and basketball are the ones who focus all their time and all their energy on basketball. They're the ones who focus everything that they have. They get better and better and better and they know every technique in the world. They know the game inside and out. And when they get out onto the court, they're free. They're free to enjoy the game. They're free to have fun. So maybe we should stop worrying so much about our freedom of choice and maybe try to find ways that we can actually be free. Now, for some of us, it means maybe finally devoting ourselves to one vocation. For others, maybe it's honestly evaluating why you might be happy at that current job. If it's because you've constantly wanted to do something else and you're never happy where you're at, well, maybe the encouragement would be to devote yourself a little bit more to that job. Devote yourself to learning more about it, to growing and excelling, and maybe the job will get easier. And now this is not the case for all of us, but we do need to remember, if you're in a job right now, why you're there to begin with. Maybe you feel like you were made for something else, and that's okay, bring it to God. But I think some of us are trying to find freedom in trying thing after thing after thing when the real freedom comes from growing and excelling in one. So now another kind of side road that I want to mention is that when we're thinking about careers in college, sometimes we can really easily, and I'm this way, can get caught up in, are my intentions pure? Are my intentions completely pure in wanting to seek another job? And I'm going to help you out here. No, they're not. I'm just going to be honest with you guys. And the reason is, is that sin has so affected everything that we have that you're never going to be able to get rid of every um, impure motive that you have. Jobs are going to have elements of, I like to have money and I like to buy things. Jobs are going to have elements of things that aren't going to be perfect. And the thing is, there is no perfect job. I want you to hear this. Jobs were not made to fulfill you. Work is good, work is important, work is great, and we're studying that this entire series, but remember that work was never meant to be your fulfillment. Only Jesus was. You will never find full satisfaction in your job. You'll find full satisfaction in Christ. Maybe not even in this life, but definitely in the life to come. But stop trying to make work what it shouldn't be. And stop worrying about whether or not your intentions are perfectly right because they're never going to be. I mean, seriously, even parts of our laughter beg God's pardon. And there are elements of our tears that we weep that demand God's redemption. So recognize that and live in that, knowing that Jesus took all your sins. And recognize that instead of waiting for the exact perfect thing to come along, just go and do something. Stop worrying about whether it's going to be perfect or not. Now, I want to give you some practical help in discerning God's direction for your work. This comes from a great book called Kingdom Calling. I really enjoyed this book, um, and uh, I, I think I wrote it on your outline if you want to try to read it. Sometimes if you're a nerd like me and enjoy reading. Um, she breaks it up into three things that you want to consider if you're going to be looking for a job or if you're going to be pursuing a different job right now. I want you to look through these things. The first is God's priorities. 
mean, ultimately, God's perfect will for you is to glorify him by being a committed, passionate disciple and going and making other disciples. That's God's ultimate will for you. But now when it comes to work, you want to see how can your work help with what God is trying to do in your life. Now, every job out there, you know, there's some people that say that there is no secular vocation or there is no unspiritual job. I would disagree with that. I think it's kind of hard to serve God while being a drug dealer or it's hard to serve God in quite a few different areas. But on the whole, the honorable of professions, um, it's amazing that you can be just as spiritual in those jobs as you can be working in ministry. So try to see how the Lord is using you where you are or try to see how the Lord can use you depending on where you want to go to serve his purposes. Next, she talks about the like examining your passions and your gifts. Now, I was in seminary in a discussion. We were talking about what the difference was between like spiritual gifts and what are called natural gifts. Then we realized this was a really silly discussion because honestly, what do we have that wasn't given to us by God? I mean, honestly. Like we can't say that certain gifts are more spiritual than others. Honestly, all of them were given to us by God and can be used for his purposes. I mean, if you have a love of math, just like Amy was saying, then praise God, that is a gift. That is a spiritual gift if you love numbers and math. If you love art and you love design, that is a gift from the Lord. But think about how God has knit you together and think about how he is going to use the gifts that he has given you to achieve his priorities and maybe that's how he has gifted you in your job. And then finally, a, a consideration that she, the author of Kingdom Calling, wants us to look at is the world's need. I mean, it's one thing to be really good at a job. It's one thing to even seek God's priorities. But if you're not serving needs in the community somehow, then you're missing out on, I think, a really key part of what makes work so enjoyable for so many. I remember a conversation with a man named Paul Lewan. He started a company for um, printers and computers and really big in Denver. Um, and he, he just had some really interesting insight about this. So he was talking, we were sitting down in, in meeting, and and he said, you know, the Lord didn't gift me to be a pastor. He said the Lord gifted me to make money. And it's so interesting to think about that because then, I mean, at first it kind of sounds like, okay, maybe he's, you know, kind of showing off a little bit. I mean, he was incredibly wealthy. But what he then said, I love, is he said, the money that I'm able to give to the school and to churches trains others for ministry. And he said, I feel like I've actually had a, a better impact than I ever could have if I had been trained to be a pastor. He said, my work and my money is able to train so many. And I'm not, it's amazing to think about how many pastors have been trained because of his help, scholarships that he's given. How many churches have been planted because he recognized that the Lord gifted him in business. And he was able to give his money to work. And now maybe God is calling some of you in a vocation that you're maybe wrestling with or maybe wondering how you can serve God in this, maybe God is saying, I'm gifting you to make money so you can be generous or I'm gifting you to be in a place where many pastors would love to be because there's a lot of people there who we won't meet. Now, I recognize that the sweet spot that you see on your out, in the outline is incredibly rare. It is very difficult to hit all three of those at once. Some of us have been able to do that at times, but if you recognize that life is lived best in seasons and there are different seasons of life, 
And you can recognize that while you focus on all three of these things at different times, God will use you to bless so many people and will provide ways for you to get different jobs and different vocations. I hope this has given you guys some direction. I hope that as you honestly wrestle through where the Lord has you or where he may be calling you, that you will remember his words to not be anxious but to bring it to him. I hope that you'll seek out the advice of godly mentors and friends. And I hope that you'll get up and go do something about it. It's my prayer for each and every one of you. So please join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you that you are God of this city, this nation, even God of this world. That nothing is too big for you and while it seems so easy as we're in the midst of things to get anxious, to get overwhelmed and get stressed, you are always there for us. Father, I pray for my friends here. I know some are wondering about whether or not they should leave a job. I know some are questioning whether or not that job is still going to be around or Lord, I know some are in a job where they are flourishing. And Lord, I pray that we would celebrate with them, that we would come alongside those who wrestle and Lord, that you would be sovereign over all of it. Father, I pray that they would bring these requests and these cares to you. Lord, I pray for those um, of our graduates who have this great season of life. May you bless this time and may it be sweet for them. Lord, may you bless them in their ministry, whether it's overseas, whether it's in the nation here, or whether it's even in the next school they go to or in the next job they have. Lord, may they live on mission for you no matter where they are. Father, I pray the same for each of us. Lord, we would live on mission for you. So, Father, be with us this week as we go and we do something for you. Pray this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Stephen's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.